0: it's Wednesday on Weagle and that means it's time for some tailgate talk with Christian and Donovan your go-to for all things college football so get ready for a recap and a breakdown of all the college football scores news and predictions So drop your tailgates, grab your playbooks, and get ready to talk some football. It's in the 60s and 70s here on the Plains, but I've gotten notice that we might have to start letting our faucets drip. Because apparently there's a freeze warning coming <laughs> coming to Auburn. Uh, you like you like that one? I yeah. do like
1: that one. I like that one a lot. That's
0: uh, just so st- <laughs> so so stupid. It's good. I bet yeah.
1: it no. It is good. I like it a lot. But uh, yeah, there is a there is a freeze warning. Uh, <laughs> I, I've I've also got that notification on the uh, the phone. So I like that intro. Yeah, that was good. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, what's up, y'all? And welcome to another episode of Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1 FM. Whether you're listening live on the Weagle website or on Spotify, we very much appreciate you tuning in. My name is Christian Griffin, and alongside me is the only one whose Spotify wrapped is worse than his last week takes, the Cadillac Williams of Tailgate Talk, Mr. Donovan Weaver.
1: Oh, I don't know if I'm that important to Tailgate Talk, but uh, no, I'm excited about this uh, week's show. We got a lot going on this week. Uh, obviously, we have conference championship games this Saturday. A lot of stuff happened last Saturday, and we got a lot of stuff talked about with the playoffs because. There's a lot of scenarios that could happen.
0: There are. There's a lot of big news, but I feel like we got to start off with the biggest news, and that's the fact that we're actually here again this week. You know, last week we had a little bit of, of questions whether or not we'd be able to come back, but we are here and we are on the air once again.
1: We are here. We didn't get fired as we, uh, as I predicted we would, but we did <laughs> not get fired. I don't know. Maybe after today's show, especially what we talked about in the last segment, maybe, maybe yeah. we will be fired. But before we get into everything, we're just going to do a quick rundown of what's going on. Outside the world of college football, as we all know, the World Cup is going on, and the USA are advancing to the round of 16. They have defeated Iran one 0 uh, Christian Pulzic, uh scored his lone goal for the United States. That was his first World uh, Cup goal, so he finally got that. Uh, USA will play the Netherlands tomorrow, which is it'll they will play them Saturday at 9 a.m. in the morning. So I'm sure Christian, you're going to be up for that, of course.
0: Oh, of course. You yeah. know, I'm a, I'm a big fut football guy not a, not not really big on the F O O T
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, it is kind of nice so that they made it at 9 a.m. So it's not going to obstruct from any college football. It'll it'll be done by 11, and then we can just roll into. what well, they'll have big noon kickoff too, won't they? Yeah, For,
0: that's uh,
1: the uh, yeah, TCU TCU. Yeah. So uh, so good on the uh, FIFA knowing that
0: <laughs> knowing that what we care about, knowing that what we
1: care about the most. So everybody will be watching that. Auburn basketball is off to a seven and zero start, defeating St. Louis sixty five to sixty. Wendell Green Jr. played a heck of a game, twenty two minutes, and Katie Johnson was kind of quiet all night until basically the final minute he scored back to back uh, little layups and goals to kind of just put Auburn over that little hump. Auburn's defense was really good down the stretch. What are you seeing from the Tigers so far, and are you worried at all that maybe we're looking a little lackluster?
0: You know, again, we we have to take this season for what it is. We can't compare it to last season. Obviously, that's what you what you do as fans. You're going, okay, well, we did this last season. Why can't we do it again this year? Uh, look who we lost. That's that's the biggest thing. You're not going to be able to to fill the 3-18th and 18th pick, I, w- I think it was, in the first round. You're going to have to find the mix and match pieces, and – you're doing a great job of it. Obviously, the offense struggles at times, but I feel like the offense has struggled at times, period, with Auburn. Like, it's it's something that happens every now and then, but, you know, the defense is always going to be there. And I actually really like KD coming off the bench. I feel like he's such a spark plug to where let him see the court for – f- or let him, you know, watch the court for a few, more, a few minutes to begin the game, but then when he gets on the field, he's immediately – Immediately energized, you know, it's such a spark that you bring to that team and that fan base and everything.
1: Yeah, I feel like Katie's biggest strength is is also kind of like his biggest weakness. Sometimes he gets a little too hyped up. He tries to do a little too much with the ball. But I feel like coming off the bench, I don't know if it's humbled him a little bit, but I think it does let him kind of just like see the game play out. And then when he gets in there, it's like it's like a new like fresh of like a new breath of fresh air for the Tigers when yeah. he gets in there. So I know I'm excited. SEC play I think begins the 27th. I want to say of December we play Florida. And, of course, we'll be talking about them a lot more in January when we come back from break. And then real quick, just want to give a shout out to Auburn Volleyball making the NCAA tournament for only the second time in history. They made it in 2010. Uh, That was their only other time they ever made it. And they will play number 16 Creighton December 2nd, which is today. So, yeah. Oh. So, yeah. So, Auburn Volleyball, y'all tune into that. Uh, but if you're ready, why don't you give a little rundown of the show.
0: Let's get into it. Let's do it. Yeah. We're going to start off with a rivalry Saturday recap. We've got a couple games we're going to mention, a couple ones that we're going to focus on. We're going to move into He is the Man. Uh, unfortunately, we do not have our Who's Hot and Who's Not segment. I think it might be the first time since we've implemented that we don't have it. Uh, but we are going to talk about the playoff picture and the possible drama that can occur this upcoming weekend. Uh, we're going to give our little insight for who we think is New York City bound. And then we're going to follow that up with the championship weekend preview. Uh, I guess it's not just the championship Saturday. It is the weekend because uh, USC and Utah are tonight. And we're going to finish it off with, I guess, a skeptical segment. Not necessarily skeptical. What the, what we could dive into could be skeptical, but Hugh Freeze.
1: And Auburn. Yeah, Hugh Fries and Auburn, the what the one I'm waiting for, but that will be at the end. Let's go right into Rivalry Weekend recap. We have Mississippi State, uh, upsetting number twenty Ole Miss, twenty-four to twenty-two. Uh it's it's almost like people I think Arkansas did this where they finally stopped the rebels and it kinda looked like State kinda implemented that kind of defense to kind of stunt them. Obviously, we all we all regard Lane Kiffin as one of the great offensive minds in college football, but that didn't really happen. Last uh last uh, Thursday on Thanksgiving uh the Bulldogs found a way to stop them. Do you think that maybe the drama with the Auburn job and nobody really knew what Lane was going to do? Do you think that had any impact on the way the Rebels played?
0: I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. It's hard to say no. Obviously, because any one of their players goes on social media, and that's the first thing that you're going to see is, hey, our head coach might be leaving. Um, but I mean once again, once you get on the field, you step on competition. You're not sitting there in the second quarter going, well, he might be leaving. So I think you're just going out to compete and you're going out to play. And I mean, I guess you could say that Mississippi State made one better play than all missed it, Or you could say the guy in the, the people in the striped jerseys made one more, one better play for Mississippi State, referring to that uh, backwards pass that was initially ruled an incomplete pass. And I feel like that's the thing that raises concerns with college football you know we're watching the world cup and everything going on and we see the the line on the computer generated line to see if it was offsides or to see if the the ball uh stayed in play stuff like that but with college football we don't have any of that it's it's we have two or three cameras that are never directly on the ball we have the pylon cam that's the straightest straightest camera we have but I would love to see something implemented to where there is a computer-generated line or something like that where you can see if the ball did go forward at all because a play like that where it was blown dead, so Ole Miss didn't pick it up, then all of a sudden the Mississippi State defensive back picked it up and after review it was re- re- uh, reversed as a lateral pass, and so Mississippi State got the ball. And I just feel like there's so many things that could be changed with college football with
1: that. You know, it's actually an interesting conversation. Uh, I think one that we could go into a lot deeper another day maybe in the off season, yeah. but – even with the NFL, like it's it's not just other sports are doing this better. Um, the NFL's do- does this better. It feels like there's like 18 million cameras uh, yeah. in the NFL, and you have a sight on the ball, and you know what is happening in the NFL. So unless something's just really close. That I mean, you, you really literally can't see because it's like pixels apart. You usually can make the right call, but no, it feels like in college football. I mean, go back and watch like a, a, a 2010 game, it feels like it's the same camera angles. Yeah. And again, you got that blurry footage, and you got the commentators just squinting, like, you know, like, yeah, I mean, it looks like this, but I can't really <laughs> tell because it's just like blurry footage. So I know, I don't know why college football can't implement more technology because we know they have it yeah uh to just make more
0: accurate calls yeah it's hard to see that we're in 2022 almost 2023 and we have to have the ruling on the field stands i feel like it should definitely be confirmed one way or another that the the gray area in college football is such a such a weird factor especially in uh key games and key moments i know that we had uh a play this this past weekend against alabama where uh Definitely a muff punt, right? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah I don't I – don't, I don't know. I don't, and I, moving on. <laughs> yeah, I am going to say, I,
1: I, don't, I don't know if I would blame that on technology or maybe just people can't see. That's that's the other thing I can say. But we will move on. South Carolina did uh, upset number 8 Clemson 31-30. to Pretty much uh, there goes Clemson's playoff hopes. They're out of it. And I don't know if y'all have been watching all week. I know this doesn't have anything to do with the game, and I'm about to talk more about Clemson. But Dabo Sweeney um, – Basically, people asking him, like, 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 what's happening to Clemson? And he, and I agree with him. He was just like, guys, your odds were 10-2. Yeah. If that's a bad year, then – I mean, if you expect more than that, then you're probably – you're going to need a new head coach every year. Why do you – I know that this has nothing to do with the game. This is a, a, off topic. But it seems like Clemson and Alabama fans, if they win 10 games, it's the end of the world. Why do you think they've gotten to this mindset where, like, success, which 10 games is a successful season, is, like, not only a letdown, but, like – a. You're starting to question everything about the coach.
0: Well, it's that same thing with the questions you were asking me earlier. Are we concerned about like Auburn basketball this year? Because we saw what they did earlier in the year. You take that one year and put that into the expectation of this should be every year. When you don't realize these are 18 to 22-year-old kids that make have changes every single year. You know, you're not coming in there with, you know, Trevor Lawrence isn't the starting quarterback for Clemson every single year. So you can't rely on that sort of NFL talent to to guide your team. You're having to mix and match different different pieces every single year. And so for teams like, you know, Auburn who struggled last year, I mean 5 and 7, you saw when we were 3 and 6, we sold out Jordan-Hare Stadium happy just to be playing football. And then on the other side of the state, yeah, you're you were 9 and 2 at the time going oh our season's over. So it's it's crazy to see the different side of things and the different viewpoints of college football, but I agree. I agree 100% with Dabo saying You know, we're we're ten and two guys. Like we're playing for a conference championship this upcoming Saturday. There's there's things that you gotta you gotta realize, not every team is the same. And you know, Dabo's at the point in time where he can say that kind of stuff and he shouldn't really take criticism from it because look where Clemson was before he got there.
1: Yeah no I know yeah it was uh, literally nothing they were I mean they were actually nothing so I know we didn't really I we didn't really get into this game too much I, no, just, no. I just thought that was a more interesting topic but no congratulations to Shane Beamer and Spencer Rattler on getting like two major wins you upset Tennessee and then you turn back around and you upset Clemson and South Carolina it just it just proves that college football is really weird you look at LSU who's looked like a great football team at times they look terrible and then you got uh, South Carolina, who again looks like they were nothing. Even Spencer Rattler, to an yeah. extent. You, I think we, I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, and I think you concur that you don't know if he's going to throw for six touchdowns or he's going to throw. Uh, six interceptions, but uh, I think he went two for two in this game. I think he had two touchdowns and two interceptions, but he did do enough to win, so congratulations to South Carolina. Uh, moving on, we're going to go to now the number three team in the nation, TCU, blowing out Iowa State 62-14. to I know a lot of people probably thought this might be like a trip up game, and it always seems like when, like, a Big Ten or a Big 12 team is undefeated. They got that last game. It's kind of like Iowa or Iowa State. And then they'll just slip up and lose. I know Oklahoma State, I, I like to point to that one the most. It was, like, in 2012 when Bama got in because Oklahoma State yeah. couldn't get it done. Uh, Brandon Whedon, you broke my heart. But, um, <laughs> but no, just good for TCU that they just they took that small point spread that they were given and then they just they blew Iowa State out of the water.
0: Yeah, they did. I think we both talked about that spread being a little bit disrespectful, how it was only 10 for – essentially the first place in the Big 12 versus last place in the Big 12, and you're playing at home. So given giving them a touchdown and a field goal favorite over Iowa State, I found a little bit disrespectful. And it's a big confidence boost for TCU going into the conference championship, playing Kansas State this weekend because of the fact that, you know, we've seen them struggle in the first half a little bit and having to – to press all the right buttons to make that second half comeback. So it's good for them to be able to, to take a little bit of breathing room. And the biggest news for me with that breathing room was Quentin Johnston, the TCU star receiver, didn't have to play a single snap. He was listed as an emergency option for the frogs if it was needed, but it was definitely not 11 different receivers had receptions and Max Duggan. Again, we talked about earlier in the show, we're going to talk about the New York city trips and, uh, if my boy Duggan doesn't get doesn't get a ticket, I'm gonna be quite upset.
1: Oh, I think he definitely will. I think he's just been too consistent. Uh, he's like, I hate when people call quarterbacks like game managers because it's meant as an insult. Yeah. But if you're a really good game manager, it's not an insult. That just means like. You you're really accurate. You make the correct plays. You're smart. And I feel like that's a like the biggest thing with a quarterback. If you're a smart quarterback, you can succeed in Max is just like he's a smart quarterback. Also, he's like gutsy yeah. because he comes alive in the second half. That's when like he thrives and that's really what makes like great athletes is I mean, it's great when like you're when you can score like 30 points in two quarters, but like, what are you doing in the next two quarters when the game's on the line? Are you going to make that three-pointer? And Max Duggan uh, has proved time and time again that he can make that three-pointer. But moving on to another pretty shocking upset, I would say, and one that uh, my co-host called, Texas A&M, not only defeated the number five team in the country, LSU, they dominated them, 38-23, finally got that Jimbo offense Rolling. What did AM and m do uh, offensively to just kind of, I mean, pretty much do whatever they want against LSU? And then also they stunted their offense, and LSU's been humming recently, and uh, A&M's defense came to play.
0: They did, yeah. Well, first of all, I like the word that you used, dominated, because it really was a domination. I mean, a 15-point win for A&M doesn't, doesn't do it justice. That game was, was not as close as a, I guess, a two-score game. Um, you know, what did A&M do? Uh, they took the ball from under center and turned around and gave it to the running back. That was what they did. Uh, Devin A. Chain had 215 rushing yards on 38 carries and two touchdowns. Uh, that's a solid, solid day. I'm sure he's gotten a couple ice baths after that game. And then again, we've talked about LSU being such a coin flip team. We'll see one team come out there and look like they can do no wrong. And then they come out. Uh, the weekend after that, and look like they can do no right, and we've seen it a couple times on the road how they've struggled big time, and yeah, so I'm I'm happy that was my that was my super dog.
1: No, it was it was a big super dog for you. My super dog didn't quite hit. Uh, I'll but I'll mention that more in <laughs> the, the he is the man segment because the team that I didn't pick uh, will be getting a little shout out for me. Moving on, uh, USC did take care of Notre Dame, thirty eight to twenty seven. I feel like this was. Like the maybe the first time people actually watch USC this yeah. season and they got to see how good Caleb Williams is because everybody's heard it, especially I feel like uh, most people down here probably only know that name and maybe they listen to like Josh Pate because Josh Pate just like gives all the love to Caleb Williams and you're like, is he really that good? And then you go watch him and you're like, oh, yeah, no, he is actually yes. really that good. And USC did take care of business. Uh, do, you, do you think they kind of have what it takes to maybe make a playoff run? And do you? Do you see a Caleb Williams being, like, the best player in the nation right now?
0: Uh, the second question is easily yes. I don't think that there's anybody that can do what Caleb Williams can do as calmly as he does it. Again, if this was the first game that you watched of Caleb Williams, you're, you're watching it with, the, with your mouth open. Because just of, of what he's able to do when he's scrambling. He's not a – a willing runner, he wants to sit back in the pocket and throw the ball, but he will run the ball. Uh, There were a couple times stats showed on one of the plays that he ran 98 yards to pick up a 16-yard first down. And it's just plays plays like that. I mean, I don't want to throw credit like this because it's not not as effective from a scrambling thing, but you're looking at it and you can't help but think Johnny Manziel, like players, players like that. Or if you want to, even like Joe Burrow, like what he did in that sec championship against Georgia and a couple plays like that. I feel like that's what we're seeing more and more of out of Caleb Williams. And then it's just his fact, the fact that he doesn't turn the ball over. I think USC is their first in the nation in turnover ratio with like a plus 23. Nobody is higher than plus 14. So that's a huge thing right there. And, yeah, he is by far, I think, the best player in the nation. I think he's already had his Heisman moment, uh, or moments, if you want to call it. And I think there's going to be more this this upcoming weekend, but we'll get to that later.
1: No, I mean, yeah, you look at Caleb Williams, and I actually concur fully. I think he is the best player in the nation right now. But I also want to give credit to Lincoln Riley. He basically took a team that was 4-8 and last season. So USC was pretty much irrelevant last season. They've been – I mean, no offense, it's like a premier college football team, and they've been irrelevant for – a while. Yeah. I mean, it's been like I think 2004 was their last national title. Wrong with uh, so that should have been the Auburn Tigers national title <laughs> with Jason Campbells and Ronnie Brown and our boy Cadillac. But no, as you say, I think that Lincoln Riley uh, Caleb Williams combo is lethal. And if they do get a shot in the playoff, I think they can score on pretty much any team. But the question is their defense. And their only loss this season came to Utah, which they'll have a chance to avenge tomorrow. So we'll see how that plays out. And then rounding out our last game on rivalry weekend, the biggest game, the game. Number 3, Michigan, routing number 2, Ohio State, 45-23. to Again, I told Christian this earlier in the week that I had to watch this in my car on the interstate. I don't know really how safe that is or how legal that is. But, no, I had to watch this game because I thought it was going to be a dogfight. And at first it was looking like it was going to be, and then Michigan basically just turned on the Jets and just kind of let loose. Do you think that maybe the kind of disrespect, I would say, from the media and fans – on Michigan this whole year saying, oh, they're 11 nope they haven't played anybody. Nobody's really giving them attention. They were the number three team, and people were acting like they didn't have a chance in this game. So do you think that had anything to do with them just coming out and just basically dominating their rivals?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like whenever you're not given a shot in college football, it aids even more momentum. I mean, we talk about it here in Auburn. We like our chances more when – All of game day, that whole board lights up Alabama, you know, stuff like that. Um, And I think it's it's no different here. I think the craziest, I'm a big stat guy, and I think the craziest stat of the year was in this game that Michigan had 530 yards of offense, which is a very solid day. But 349 of those yards came on five plays. That is crazy to think about. They had a 69-yard touchdown, a 75-yard touchdown, a 45-yard touchdown, a 75-yard touchdown, and then an 85-yard touchdown. So it's crazy to think that. I mean, obviously you can't say that a game came down to five plays or whatever, but when you have five humongous chunk plays that are taken up, every every one but every one of the four, but every one of the five but one took up more than two thirds of the field. That's a crazy stat right there. And then yeah, again like you mentioned, I feel like. The, the disrespect that Michigan was getting. There was a report going on throughout the game that it felt like Michigan was just able to go out and play while Ohio State was having to look stylish while doing it, and they were almost having to, to cover up and defend while they were while they were deserving, rather than Michigan had nothing to lose because the, nobody was giving them a chance to start with.
1: Yeah, no, and I think it started on the ground game with Michigan. Uh, backup running back. This was their backup. Whoa, hold on.
0: Let's move on to he is the man. Oh, oh, okay. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah,
1: let's just move on to he is the man real quick because I think I was about to just steal <laughs> your he is the man and just uh, explain all his stats because I'm going to go off of – we're going to talk about Blake Corm, who is the Michigan running back. But y- you you go ahead and you say that, and then I'll say my piece <laughs> with what I was going to say.
0: Yeah, Donovan Edwards, the Michigan backup running back, stepped, stepped up huge in the absence of Blake Corm. Sorry, I didn't mean to just totally – No, you're totally – no,
1: I, I, I forgot that was your he is the man. So yeah. I, just, uh, I was about to steal that. Right from under you. Yeah.
0: Backup running back, you know, Blake Coram comes in, then everybody's, or Blake Coram is officially out. And so everybody's raising the questions of where is the offense going to come from? The Michigan off, Michigan passing isn't necessarily feared like the Ohio State offense was, or passing offense was. But yeah, Donovan Edwards stepped up huge, 216 yards on 22 carries and two touchdowns. Uh, He had two of those long touchdowns. He had the 75-yarder and the 85-yarder in the fourth quarter to ice the game. And I would like to give, I guess, a runner-up from that exact same game. Cornelius Johnson, four receptions, 160 yards, and two touchdowns. He also had two of the long touchdowns, the 69-yarder and the 75-yard touchdown. So if you have two guys... They're putting up chunk touchdowns like that. I feel like you are going to have a pretty solid day.
1: And then you also have J.J. McCarthy at quarterback. So, no, that Michigan backfield is ridiculous. But, no, I was I was just going to speak to Blake Corn real quick. It is confirmed, I think, of yesterday that he is out for the season. Yeah. And that is not just a bummer to Michigan fans, but pretty much just all of college football because you're talking about a Heisman contender. I think he was number three in the Heisman voting as of right now, and he is also the top-ranked running back. So he is now out. And he joins Hendon Hooker on the um, we're not going to play again this season list. And obviously, Hendon Hooker was having that just incredible year for Tennessee, that I think the best year for Tennessee quarterback since the likes of Peyton Manning. So no, it's just kind of sad to see when you see a player that is having a Heisman level season go out before they can finish it off. Especially since Michigan's got to make a playoff push, and will how much will Blake Corum impact that? And Kendonovan Edwards stepped up? Because he did step up against Ohio State. But will he step up against, like, uh, Georgia? Like, you know, it remains to be seen. Yeah. But he played very good. And then Mahi is the man. Not really for stats, because the stats weren't really weren't that impressive. But I just want to shout out Joe Milton, because he proved me wrong. I thought Vanderbilt maybe had a chance to upset Tennessee. They didn't have Hendon Hooker. Vanderbilt was playing for bowl contention. And then uh, Joe Milton said... No, 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 no. Uh, Tennessee wins 56 to nothing, and their offense basically just looked the exact same. I know they were playing Vanderbilt, so take that for what it's worth. But no, Joe Milton just basically stepping into that role that Hendon Hooker, he just stepped into his shoes and played great. He ran that offense perfectly, and the stats really weren't eye popping. But I mean, hey, when you put up 56 to nothing on offense, you know, I feel like that's a little tip in your cap to Joe Milton.
0: Yeah, definitely. When you can come in and fill the spot of who I would consider was the Heisman frontrunner up until week seven or week eight uh, and make the offense look the exact same. Or if you didn't watch the game, the scoreboard looks the same. Uh, yeah, major props to him for for coming in and filling that spot.
1: Okay, well, now we're going to move on. We were going to do our play, our who's in uh, segment right now. I, I think we're going to wait till after we do the championship weekend preview and just kind of go through – the two really the two games that matter for the yeah. playoff, and then we'll talk about the playoff implications of what all could happen. Uh, first off, we have Utah versus USC. Obviously, USC is sitting right now in that number five spot, so they – they have to win oh, number four. I did. This is the second. This is the second time of this week I've done that. Uh, they're sitting in that four spot, so it's really a win you're in. But USC does have one loss of season. That was to Utah, and that was a shootout game. Uh, obviously, you have two great quarterbacks in USC's Caleb Williams, Heisman contender, and Utah's also got a stud in Caleb. Uh, I mean, in uh Cameron Rising. So, do you think that Utah will do what they did last time, or do you think USC avenges their loss?
0: I think it's I think it's a little bit of both. I don't expect this game to be a 24-21 type of game. I think it's going to be, you know, in the – or at least first team to the 40s is going to win. Uh, but the biggest thing for me is – we've talked about it before, but turnovers in games like this are, are key. And the fact that Caleb Williams just doesn't make mistakes when he has the football in his hands, it's hard for me to go against that in the USC offense. Um I mean, last game, he put up 381 and five touchdowns against Utah. The question, obviously, is with the defense, but I mentioned it before. The turnover ratio that USC has is uh, plus 23. They forced 27 turnovers this year. The USC offense has only committed four of them. Caleb Williams has committed three, I believe. But, yeah, I think that Cameron Rising, I mean, we talked about him before. We talked about his skill set. And then we – I forgot the game. We talked about – Oh, it was the Oregon game. Oregon, yeah. Where, um, where I was thinking that I, I projected that he wasn't going to have a great game, and he didn't. And, and you know, I think I think it'll be like this. I think it'll be the same the same type of game. Uh, where it'll be close in the first half or three quarters, but two and a half for USC. I like them not only to to cover but to to take that outright.
1: Okay, yeah. I okay okay. I, I actually agree with that. I think this is going to be a really tight game because I do think. Utah does have a stud in uh, Cameron Rising. They have a really good backfield, too. They have a uh, two running back duo there. But no, I do think USC pretty much knows what they're playing for, and I th- I think they're going to take care of business. I actually I project that the 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 four teams we have right now in the playoff I think that will be the playoff when it's all said and done after uh, everything's wrapped up tomorrow but that will move into our uh, other big one Kansas State versus TCU TCU is the number three team in the nation right now undefeated if they can just hold on and take care of Kansas State they are in and actually Christian I think you said even if they lose you, you think they might stay in but we'll talk about that in a little bit uh, what does TCU have to do just to kind of secure that spot in the playoff?
0: The biggest thing they have to do is stop Will Howard. Will Howard came in for Adrian Martinez when he was injured, and he's added such a another wrinkle to that Kansas State offense that is known for a heavy rush. You know, even with Adrian Martinez, the RPO was there. Deuce Vaughn uh, was putting up video game numbers, it seemed like, every week. But Will Howard, he adds a, a deep ball effect to that offense, which can strike quickly, you know, rather than four or five yard plays down the field, all of a sudden you get a couple play action passes in there that go over the top of the safeties. And that's six points right there. Um, But for me, I feel like TCU's offense is too good to struggle for four quarters. It's hard for me to think that Kansas State is not going to allow TCU to have three, four, maybe five good drives in the game. Uh, I think it's the first team to 30 that wins it. And I like TCU right at that line. Uh, I like them 31 to 28. I think Max Dugan or Max Duggan, I'm sorry, is just too good. Um, in that second half offense, their second half defense, too, coming up with stops is just too big.
1: I actually think TCU is going to take the momentum they built in last week and just kind of steamroll Kansas State. May- maybe not in the first half. I think it'll be a close. It might even be close for about three quarters, but I think TCU does take care of business. I do think Max Dugan is a top five quarterback in the nation right now. And again, we talked about his clutch factor. I just think that TCU's got way too much firepower on offense for Kansas State to stop. So I see this going around 42 24, okay. around there. I, I don't think. It's gonna, I know I just said I think they're going to uh, smack them around. I think they will win handily. But, I mean, I think it'll be a close game in the third quarter, and TCU's going to kind of run away with it at the end. Uh, the other three championship games we have for the uh, uh, group of five teams is the SEC championship. LSU, who did have that devastating loss against A&M last week, is playing Georgia. Uh, I think me and Christian both don't think that'll be close. But just for, for just craps
0: and giggles, <laughs> what can LSU do to win that game? Uh, Jaden Daniels is going to have the best game of his life, or he's going. Sorry, oh, 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 you're you're predicting the upset. He's going to have (laughs) to have have the best game of his life. Um, As a runner, he could do it. As a passer, the arm, the arm is there, but it's the reads that aren't necessarily there. I feel like he's the reads that he's making are a second or half a second too late. And you know, I think it's 17 right now. Is the spread? I can see LSU covering that just because of the fact that one. Georgia doesn't need this game to be in the playoff. They obviously they're going to try and win it, but they don't need style points. You don't need to run away with this game to remain the number 1 team in the country. You win and you're in. So I mean, give me Georgia um but maybe by two touchdowns. So I like I like I like a 31-17 type of game.
1: Yeah, I, I think this I think this is kind of going to look like the Kentucky Georgia game. I think it's I think it's just going to be like kind of a boring ugly yeah. game and you hate to say that, but I think Georgia's probably maybe They'll they'll be like in one to two score range the whole time and LSU's just not gonna be able to do enough. And I think it'll be a really low scoring game. Again, I could see it being like a twenty to ten type game where maybe it's only a ten point game, but like you knew who won the game. Georgia pretty much dominated from the right. fourth quarter, so I don't see LSU really having a chance, but you never know. In the ACC championship, uh Dabo Sweeney really wants you to remember that they are playing for a championship this Saturday. I know everybody thinks that since they lost last week that this game doesn't matter, but I mean, it's it's a conference championship, a game. It does matter. Clemson is facing North Carolina. Do you think that Clemson maybe is a little down right now and they'll slip up against North Carolina, or do you think that maybe the fan backlash is going to reinvigorate this team into taking care of business?
0: Yeah, I think I think Clemson will handle them. Um, Dabo's mentioned that DJ Uyunglele has zero breathing room in – uh, in that starter spot, and if you want to call it a hot take, I don't think he'll be the starter next year. Uh, I think we talked about it a couple of days ago—the possibility of Dabo picking up a guy like McNamara, but uh, he just transferred to Iowa, which that is another story oh, within itself. It is Oh, wow. So that's a, that's big for the a possible Big Ten matchups in the future. Jeez. Yeah, that's a. We, yeah, well, we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. big, Tom. But you know, I think um, even Klubnik, though we've talked about how we feel like he could take over, but we haven't seen him throughout DJ's struggles. And so it makes me wonder if he has, you know, he, if he's not what we all see that he is, but regardless, I think, I think Clemson, I think their offensive line and their running game is, is too good for North Carolina. So I like Clemson by a touchdown.
1: Okay. So, uh, so a little closer than that, I got it. I, I got Clemson by two touchdowns. I think, Again, I like to say this a lot, and I go to this will a lot, but it's true. I just think Clemson's got better talent. Yeah. I think uh, I think maybe they'll probably be a little fired up for this one, too, because after they kind of – they didn't get in Bears versus South Carolina, but they definitely shouldn't have lost that game. Uh, and they should be in the playoff hunt right now, but they aren't. So, I think Clemson's going to play with a chip on their shoulder. Uh, shoulder not soldier. Uh, <laughs> and then real quick, we have a Big Ten championship game, Purdue versus Michigan. Uh, I'm not going to say too much about this. You can if you want to. I think it's going to be pretty similar to last year, where it was Michigan, Iowa, and Michigan 142 nothing. Again, I think Purdue will score more than zero. I, th- I but I I could easily see this being like a 42 14 game. I think Michigan's going to pretty much steamroll them.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't disagree. Once again, this isn't a fashionable win for Michigan. You don't need style points to win it. I would like to throw one stat in there. Um, since 2015, Purdue is three and zero. Against undefeateds in the Big Twelve, just want to throw that out there. Started with um, with Ohio State, and then I think it was Iowa a couple years ago, and then oh, there was somebody. I think it was Ohio State again, yeah, a couple years was, ago. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to throw that out there. I don't think it's I don't I don't think it's going to happen. But if there's one team that shows the ability to upset an undefeated Big Ten or Big Twelve Big Ten team, sorry. Yeah. Um, it would be Purdue, but I don't think it'll happen. Well,
1: I hate that they're going to be going to 3-1 and one in that stat. Uh, that is unfortunate. <laughs> but uh, real quick before we get to Auburn, Hugh Freeze, I think Christian's got a little a little rant he kind of wants to go on to. Not really a rant, but he, he said he wanted to talk a little bit about the playoff. Uh, obviously, uh, we have a lot of scenarios that could happen. Uh, it goes like this. Georgia's 1, Michigan's 2, TCU at 3, USC at 4. And then these, these are the three that are kind of big time. So Ohio State is above Bama right now. So, if TCU or USC loses, we assume Ohio State's going to take that four spot. Bama's at six, so they, they need two people to lose. But Tennessee is – the, they're the one that people are kind of like, well, did they get the shaft? They beat Bama. They should be ahead of them, and they both have two losses. So, what, what is that? So, I don't know. What what are you thinking about the playoff right now?
0: Yeah, first of all, uh, you mentioned it earlier. I think TCU, if they lose a close one, like a 27-24 to 24 game, I think they could still have a legitimate shot at – that four spot. It's hard to say that the committee wouldn't favor a one loss Ohio state team over a one loss TCU team. But when you're looking at it, you know, the team that you lost to you beat earlier in the season. So if you lose a neutral site game, I feel like that gives a little bit of respect, but then again, we're talking about them beating them, you know, losses like that, you know, it obviously means nothing because Tennessee is behind Alabama. Essentially that puts Tennessee out because unless somehow the committee changes their mind which would be a bad rap in itself that would give them even more hatred toward than what they're already getting but if TCU and USC both lose i think that Ohio State and Bama would or if TCU loses big they'd uh, Ohio State and Bama would slide into that 3 and 4 spot and again it is hard to to think that 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 would get in but it's, it's it is a possibility it's crazy to think that a two-loss team could get into the playoff for the first time, but I guess that is where my rant comes in. Uh, the college football playoff is being expanded to 12 teams, not this upcoming season, but the, uh, the 2024 season. And I, I, for the college football kid in me, I love it because it's more college football. It's more, more bowl games that I'm going to be able to watch. But from a a logical standpoint we're trying to argue who is the best fourth and fifth team or sixth team in the country and in the next couple years we won't even be talking about that Bama Tennessee game anymore because both of these teams are comfortably in and so I feel like it takes a lot of seriousness from regular season games when you're looking at it as instead of this year where Michigan and Ohio State are playing for a playoff spot it's just another regular season game because both of those teams regardless would be you know, worst case scenario, eleven and one, and the other will be twelve and zero, and you're both going to make it to the playoff easily, and end up playing a weaker a weaker team uh, that's higher higher ranked. And you know, I just think that it, I think there's a lot that is flawed. I feel like everybody wants more, more, and more, but when you're having to decide who is the top or who are the top four teams, and there's not a clear four. I mean, even last year, looking at it, there were four teams in the college football playoff, but Alabama and Georgia were clearly the best two, and we noticed that from what week three. Mm-hmm. And so, it is it is really hard. But, again, the conference champions and then the other six being put in, it's respectful. And, again, the college football part, part of me likes it. But I feel like the regular season rivalries are going to be taken away, like the importance of them. And it's just it, – it takes a lot of conversations out of who really deserves it.
1: Yeah, regular season games definitely – like this isn't, a, this isn't a, oh, maybe. Def, regular season games will not mean as much – and this has been my big thing and I feel like a lot of people don't talk about this but bowl games have been severely impacted by the playoff like they don't they don't matter quite as much because teams like BAM or Clemson where normally if they were number three they wouldn't get in and that Sugar Bowl or uh, Peach Bowl or whatever uh, New Year's Six they get into that one means a lot because only two teams get in the national championship and then you went to the uh, four playoff uh, format and it just feels like bowl games have lost importance a little bit especially those new year's six bowls but i feel like now that you're going to 12 it's just gonna keep on losing its importance and obviously we've talked about regular season again there's several games that happened saturday that would not have mattered if if this would have been implemented this year that michigan ohio state game doesn't matter um uh, that again that that tennessee uh or, or uh the Clemson-South Carolina game wouldn't have mattered because Clemson would have been in anyways. I mean, you talk about multiple games that just really wouldn't have mattered. You could have lost. It would have been fine. So, again, I agree with you that, like, the kid in me is like, oh, this is cool, you know, the top 12 teams. But, like, that's that's the point of the regular season. You, yeah. that That's what makes you earn your way to get to play in that, I guess, now four. But really in the past, that two spots, you have to earn that. And now you don't have to do as much. Now it just matters. You just got to make the playoffs and you do it. I feel like it's becoming a lot more like the NFL. And it makes more sense in the NFL because there's only 32 teams. That makes sense. But when you have like 130 teams, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of the format. Uh, again, we could probably talk about this more in the offseason, like January, February coming up. But it is kind of upsetting to see that this is where it's going. But um, real quick, Auburn has hired Hugh Freeze uh, coming in from Liberty a very accomplished head coach he is the 31st head coach the Auburn Tigers averaged eight wins at Ole Miss in five years including three bowl wins and a 2015 Sugar Bowl he did beat Bama in back-to-back seasons in 2014-2015 that's like I feel like that's just been the feather in his cap everywhere he's gone that people remind him that he beat Bama in back to back seasons especially when they were like at the height of their power they were like the like the Empire in uh in Return of the Jedi they were at full force you know about uh building that new Death Star and then uh he's had three ten win seasons at all at Arkansas State Ole Miss and Liberty and he's six and one in bowl games you know he wins everywhere he's been he won at Arkansas State he won at Ole Miss and then he revamped Liberty which was I think his most impressive work what do you think of the hire?
0: So, I think we only have a few minutes. So, we're going to stick to – we've talked about it, what we wanted to get into. I think we're going to stick to a strictly college football coach and then, like, a community face. Uh, like, shout out to him for going to the state championships. I feel like that's a that's a good sign. That, you know, that's, that's the role that the head coach is supposed to have. You're supposed to be the face of that. So, when they're playing in your stadium, you go and watch and you support. Um, but I I like it. I really do. I feel like it's very – it's not, not a very popular pick. Um, but the thing that – the thing that gets me is the people that have the 72 hour opinions the people that you know have known his name for 3 or 4 days and immediately come to an opinion without really seeing him on the field i mean it has been a while since his name is was relevant in the sec but from from the coaching standpoint you're looking at in 20 whenever he was at Ole miss in 2015 or whatever yeah. you're you're taking a team essentially that was 2018 2019 2020 vanderbilt and now all of a sudden, say in twenty twenty two, Vanderbilt wins nine games and goes to a big bowl. That's essentially the job that Freeze took over when he was at Ole Miss. Ole Miss hadn't won an SEC game in I think it was like two and a half years. Yes, two and a half years. When when he first got to Ole Miss. And I feel like that's that's something that goes unnoticed, but that's such a big thing to do. And then the fact that you not only bring that program up. Then all of a sudden you take a Liberty team that's kind of in the water. Nobody really knows them for football. And you start winning games there. You start picking up guys that you need to pick up, uh, a.k.a. Malik Willis, who was here for two years and then transferred because, you know, his speed was there, but he didn't have the arm talent to to compete in the SEC for a starting job. Transfers to Liberty and uh, was a third-round pick in the NFL draft and has started a couple games for the Tennessee Titans – I actually heard that Robbie was talking to Malik. He said that they're good friends and Robbie's really excited to see what Hugh Freeze can develop him because that's one of the things that Hugh Freeze prides himself on is his clear communication with with the offense to the fact of building with knowledge rather than building through, you know, trial and error and stuff like that. I feel like that's such a big thing and we've we've seen what Robbie can do with his legs but the fact that Hugh Freeze talked about in his press conference that throw that Robbie made in the back corner of the end zone in the iron bowl and the fact that he thinks that he can make that throw consistently I think that's the best throw that Robbie made all year and so the think that that a coach can develop that out of a player I think that's huge
1: yeah uh in my opinion I think this is an all-star hire I think it's almost a almost a grand slam people were telling me it's uh maybe it's just like a single or double No, I think think it's a grand slam hire I think personally this is the best coach we could have gotten from a coaching perspective I know people want to lane train and I think I think Lane Kiffin's really good but if you want the the Auburn man who's going to go to everything and you want the person who is going to win you football games I think I mean Hugh Freeze I think that's your guy and we can talk about this more later in k- upcoming episodes about, like, character. And I know a lot of people are upset about this hire. But we got a football coach. Yeah. Like, we got a football coach who can coach football. He can recruit at a high level. Again, I, in my opinion, I think, I think he's going to turn this thing around in maybe two years. I think this is going to be a quick turnaround. I think it could be a situation like Lincoln Riley at USC where – it's just you're going to see it impact immediately. I wouldn't be surprised if we won eight games next year and then again in that year, too, if we won nine or ten. I'm not expecting that, but I wouldn't be surprised. I think this guy is that good at coaching. And, look, he had a great opening press conference where he's keeping Cadillac on as associate head coach, which is a fantastic move. So, I don't know. I, th- I think this is a grand slam hire. I know a lot of people aren't too jazzed about it, but I feel like a silent majority of Auburn people that know football know that this guy can – turn this program around, and he coaches at a high level.
0: One of the biggest things, too, is you don't hear coaches complaining or anything like that. I feel like, like the, you know, big head football coaches, you, you'd think that they would they'd share their complaints if they had any. So, it shows that they know him as a person. Um, real fast, if we want to talk about why I think he's a great pick, I don't think if we get Lane Kiffin, he spends the first two minutes of his introductory speech giving credit to Cadillac, where Cadillac got a standing ovation. I feel like that's huge. Yeah. and. Again, just from the face of a community, I feel like he's going to be really good. He's going to be all in. I mean, I talked about Bruce, and he talked about how he wants to be a, a guy like that that brings a team back and brings the culture back. And if, I feel like the two of them, if they can work together, get Cadillac too and get all of them on the right page, I really do. I think that team could be special. And you're talking about winning eight or nine games and maybe ten games in year two, that's a playoff team. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy yeah, to think about. That's that's where we're at now.
1: Yeah, so big time hire for Auburn. But, guys, thank you for listening Uh, That has been Christian Griffin. I've been Donovan Weaver. We will be back here next Wednesday recap uh, championship game Saturday, so we will talk to you all later. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Tailgate Talk with Christian and Donovan. Tune in next week, same time, same place, Wednesdays at 3 for your weekly dose of college football.